Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we journey into science fictions, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow, Station Manager for Krypton Radio. With me is my co-host, Susan Fox. Science! She's our executive producer, and our guests today are Ben Bova and Eric Choi, co-editors of Carbide Tipped Pens, a new anthology from Tor Books. Welcome to the show, fellas. Glad to be here. Thank you. Great to be here. So you are, um, you're in Canada. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, I know. It, 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 isn't that scary? It's like a whole other planet. Yeah, uh, and, and a frozen one. Well, actually, I, I suspect most of the northeast U.S. is uh, pretty frozen as well. But yeah, uh, in fact, the uh, the snow is coming down here. It's uh, looking kind of cheery. Welcome to Weather Talk on Krypton Radio. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm in Florida. I don't talk about weather. We don't talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I have well, been... Uh... You've got L.A. It's got to be uh, pretty decent there, too, no? Pouring down rain. Ah. Uh, Yep, it's pretty wet. And it is drizzly. at the at the time of this this recording. It is Pacific Storm Carolyn, which amuses my mother no end because her name is Carolyn. <laughs> I have been uh, can't escape. No, nope. not at all. I I have been um, the name Ben Bova to me uh, takes me back, and I'm. I, might embarrass you a little bit about this, but uh, it takes me back to my, to when I was in high school, and I was uh, reading analog science fiction. Who wasn't? My my first uh, encounter with the name was yeah, it was a s- analog in the spot in, at an airport in the summer of seventy two. I think it was the middle part of the Pritcher Mass. Who the heck wrote that? Oh my! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and yeah. there was some other. There was a James Schmidt's story in there. It's just a, yeah. nothing bad in that. And I said, I got to keep this forever, and I did keep it forever, and I kept buying it after that. But, well, analog was a wonderful seven years in my life. It was pure fun. Well, and you just can't pick a bad story, apparently, because uh, there's a lot of gems in the present volumes. Ooh, see what I did there. Oh, nice segue. Damn, I'm good. (laughs) So, Carbide-Tipped Pens is a not very obvious title for a science fiction anthology. It is apparently named for a writer's group. 
Eric's yes, mighty I group. I want to make it clear from the outset that this is mostly Eric's job. Uh, he conceived the idea for the anthology, and he went out and got a lot of the writers that are in the book. Uh, he's done a magnificent job, and I'm glad to take the credit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad to give the credit because Ben is, is being very kind. Uh, this, this project, while I may have had the initial twinkle in the eye idea, it was Ben who was always the, the champion and, and the bedrock you know, behind this, you know, pushing this forward. So I'm, I'm I am a river to my people. <laughs> Something like that. You are a river of of the readership, <laughs> and I'm a little dingy. <laughs> you can read that several different ways. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You can. There are stories in here by Doug Beeson, Gregory Benford, Elliot de I'm massacring this. Aliette de Baudard, uh yourself. Yourselves, uh, David him. DeGraff, Carl Frederick, Nancy Folda, Howard Hendricks, Liu, uh, I can't pronounce it, Sixon, uh, and that's a translation, and uh, Jack McDevitt, McDevitt. Yeah. Uh, Leah Peterson and Gabrielle uh, Harbaway, Robert Reed, Kate Story, Dirk Strasser, Jean-Louis Trudel, and Daniel H. Wilson. Kate's story, what a great name for a writer. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it? Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. The Daniel Wilson story just knocked me out. I mean, they're all good stories. These, these, this is a very, very good anthology, I think. Well, the point but of the anthology... Wilson, Wilson got the whole universe into 4,000 words, and it's just beautiful. breaks your heart. The point of the anthology seems to be hard science. I mean, the science is all very solid, but placed in just a filigree of beauty, every single one. Um, but science is beautiful. It is. and Yes. It's, it's, Understanding, learning, knowing, building new knowledge. These are the most human things that human beings do. And a, a field of fiction that follows that, that tries to explain it to the audience, is a very, very worthwhile endeavor. I've spent my life at it, and and I think Eric has, has brought out a wonderful anthology. We've brought out a wonderful anthology, then. Well, I helped a little bit. Well, you wrote <laughs> yeah. one of the stories, which was... Just a delight, a, a baseball story. It oh, yeah. And, you know, almost almost Damon Runyon style in its uh, lingo and life and verve. Yeah, I know I know a lot of very pompous people who, whenever they're faced with a change in the rules in baseball, say, you're making a travesty of the game. And yet the game goes on and gets richer and deeper and attracts more people every year. Boy, and you thought science fiction fans were nitpickers. <laughs> they got nothing. They got nothing next to sports fans. Listen, let me tell you what a nitpicker is. When I was editing Analog Magazine, one year we got the volume number on the title page wrong. The volume number is set in two-point type, and it's in Roman numerals. 
We got we got half a dozen letters threatening to cancel their subscriptions because we're so stupid. Wow. Yeah, but if that had been on like you know the sports page of the New York Times, it'd have been dozens. Uh, Maybe. I don't think I don't think most sports fans are into Roman numerals. It's still a good story. Yes. (laughs) So, Eric, what's um. How did you meet Ben, and uh, how did you get started um, in in your career? Well, as as shocking as this may sound, this kind of started up here in Canada. That's so not shocking. Was, it, it is, isn't it? But uh, Ben was up here at uh, our local con here in Toronto at Astra uh, a few years ago, and by a stroke of good luck. Uh, graced by the gods of the concom, we actually shared a, a signing table together. Of course, there was this humongous lineup for Ben and, and none for me, which was which was totally fine. <laughs> ben, and then it's it, it's me. And I've had this idea for this anthology rattling around my head for for a little while. And, and you know, towards the uh, the end of the signing session. Um, I sort of very nervously said to Ben, um, you know, it was, you know it, was a, it was an honor to to share a table with you. I've read you since childhood, and oh, by the way, I, I have this idea for a book. Of, uh, would you like to work on it with me? And he said, Yeah, sure. And <laughs> I said, Really? And that's uh, that that that's where this all started. That's great. Yep. There and was a fortuitous meeting. Fortuitous meeting that really resulted in something wonderful. I'm very, very happy about it. So, Eric, tell us where the title of the anthology came from. The title was actually a hard SF writing group that I was in in the, in the 1990s. And back in our young and foolish days, we thought that we were going to go out and change the world and start a whole new hard SF revolution. And, uh, you know, we, we wrote a few things here and there, and then eventually life got in people's way and, and jobs and family and things like that. So, so, so we drifted apart and you know, years later, um, sort of looking around the landscape, it seemed like the time was about right for, for new hard SF type of anthology. And I thought, wow, you know, I think I've got a pretty good, cool title for that uh, as well. So actually it was, it was the title that came first and, and the idea of, following that. And, and how many of the authors uh, in the book are, are were actually part of that original writing group? If two. Any, any? Uh, two of them? Two. Yes, two. So it's myself and David DeGraff. Ah. Although um, I did, we did solicit stories from, uh, from the other members of the group, uh, but uh, ended up uh, David having really a, a wonderful story called uh, Siren of Titan. Oh, and yes. If you... You know, you talked about the uh, the beauty and, and the emot- emotiveness of of the narratives. This was, this was very something very deliberate that, that Ben and I were trying to do. That we were trying to balance science and character and story and heart in, in equal measure. And I, I, you know, there, there's there's a character in David's story that isn't even human, and that's it's going to bring tears to your eyes as well. I guess we better One not spoil it. One of the things it. that hard science fiction can do is to take the reader to places where no human being has ever been before. 
but they are places that actually exist. And someday we will go there and check out how accurate the story was. I am just excited beyond reason to find out what is really under the crust of Titan. Ah, you and me both. So is Siren. (laughs) (laughs) I'm bursting to talk about this story, but you don't want to ruin it. No, don't ruin it for the readers. Okay, I'll be... Moving along. Um, There's one that is translated from Chinese. Um... The the, yes. the author is Lu uh, Kishin. Uh, the translation is by Ken Liu. I see that the name the the family name is the same. Are they related? They're, they're not related. No. It was a good guess. It was a good question, though. And uh, it it involves the it it takes place in in China, ancient China, where. It, what they have the is the invention of the digital computer. The invention of the digital computer by having, you know, a hundred thousand troops standing there with, with you know, ones and zeros, basically. Yeah. There, there's a little bit of a story behind that story as well. So, um, Liu Kaixin has actually had his novel, The Three Body Problem, translated to English, also came out from Tor about a month ago. And I had the great privilege of reading an early translated manuscript of that for, for Ken Liu. He was asking me to, just to make sure that his translations of, of, of the, some of the scientific aspects made sense. Uh, by the way, I, I, the, well, I'm going to briefly plug another book here, but it's, uh, the three body problem is absolutely fantastic. It's, it, it's one of the best high concept hard SF novels I've read in, in, in a very long time, but there was, one idea in, in the novel that I thought was absolutely grand. So I contacted Kaishin through Ken Yu and said, you know, I, I love the novel, but he's got this really cool idea in this chapter here that's like, you know, like a, like a page or two. Um, do you think he would be willing to develop in, into a complete story for us? And we're, we're, we're delighted that, uh, in fact, he did. So this is derived from his other work. It's based on an idea that came from, from the wider novel. Oh, novels. now I need that book. You see, this is why anthologies need to be out there, because then you go and track these people down and read all their other work. Yeah, but Susan, what you have just heard is a fine editor at work. He saw a story idea and asked the writer to develop it. It's like, you know, being, being a, a midwife. At the birth of a new creature. He is a midwife, a mentor, a cheerleader, probably a babysitter. Uh, he hasn't babysat me yet, but Ben has been <laughs> <laughs> confidant and, and friend. Hey, well, I babysat grandchildren. <laughs> yes. That is uh, one of the things that anthologies are really great for, Susan, that you've, you've really uh, you've put a point on it. It's the... It's how I learned about new authors, is by reading yes. the, the anthologies. And uh, the anthologies are like the appetizer table at a wonderful buffet. Well, and this you is taste, why taste this and taste that and say I like that. I'm going to go for more of that. Well, and this is what the best of you know 1974 anthologies or whatever are are really yep. good for. Yep. You know, I grew up reading, you know, Science Fiction Hall of Fame, my eyes uh-huh. big as saucers. 
and mm-hmm. then ran down every single one of those names for other books later on. And, you know, two walls of this room are <laughs> papered in books at this point. <laughs> Three, I think. Those are the science fiction books. Oh, okay. Those are that's general. That's that's video. The okay. cookbooks had to be relegated to another room, and that's but they are. But that's they another are books collection. Floor to ceiling. They are floor to ceiling. Um, one of the other books we've had lately is Transhuman by Ben Bova, and uh, which I also liked very much. It's a it's oh, a you. it's a thrilling good adventure. But you couldn't have written that before becoming a grandfather. I think that's not a young man's work. That's no, it's not, but it's about an old man who becomes a young man. Well, yeah, but he had to go through that experience first. Yep, yep. And I'm not going to... You write about what you know. You and say I a, that. I had a grandchild who was critically ill. I'm so and fortunately, uh, he didn't. he didn't need science fiction in, inventions to bring him back to health. Well, I'm glad to hear that... So it has a good, has a happy ending so far. Yep. Here, here. God, the kid's six foot two. He's twice my size. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and he's going for a degree in computer graphics. Yay! Miracles of modern science are walking around. Wouldn't that make Ben yep. over three foot one? No. <laughs> oh. Could be twice his mass. Okay, that that is different. Yes. I'm going to be half my mass, and I think I'm going to have to just. Move to Mars, because ain't no other way oh, that's going to Try the happen. moon. Try the moon. It's only one-sixth gravity. Whee! I'm looking forward to retiring there someday. Wouldn't that be a great place for an old folks home? Yep. Or or the or, uh, maybe out in the, the asteroid belt. I, I hear that uh, Vesta has water coming out from, from under the crust. We could have geysers and geysers. <laughs> okay, you write it. <laughs> All right, I will. <laughs> Good. Okay. I think you've been challenged. Okay. I'll take it. See, this is how the field advances. <laughs> now, my, my personal writing career took a careening left into news uh, about 27 years ago. So, you know, not a lot of fiction. N W S or news N-U-D-E-S. That's it depends how you how you phrase that. Um, I also I also my day job is also uh, uh, a managing editor of Hollywood News Calendar. So uh-huh. <laughs> not nudes, not so much, but not unknown. Mm. Anyway, Gene is taking a quick break to turn his dinger off. On my yes, it's it's an incessant uh, reminder of how connected I am to the. The rest of our staff and, and, uh, it's just, sometimes the technology just, just sort of takes over everything. It's, um, uh, I'm grateful that we have it, but at the same time, every now and then, it would be nice to be able to slow down and, and, uh, and breathe. I think this is one of the, the things that people find possibly the scariest about, uh, science and science fiction is that uh, it takes people out of their comfort zone and which is in large part That's the true. point you know but and yeah. and in this it serves a valuable it provides a valuable service but not everyone is comfortable with it and that is in fact well, part, part of the ride i will merely quote an old engineer's aphorism behold the lowly turtle he only makes progress when he sticks his neck out 
Aha, very good. I like that one. Well, behold the tea bag. He only comes into his own when he's all the way into hot water. <laughs> That's a good one, too. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, so, Eric, what are you working on now? What's the What's coming up next? I've got uh, some short fiction on the go. I'm actually primarily a short fiction writer. Mm-hmm. I see and, that. And uh, I've got a new anthology project that uh, I'm starting to put together. Well, your handiwork is probably right over our heads right now. I also see you have a background in uh, aerospace engineering. He's worked on the, the uh, Canadarm on the International Space Shuttle and uh, oh my. Mars landers and probably... The world's longest part picker. Or <laughs> something like that. Although <laughs> I have to partially blame Ben for that career choice because when I was in college, I picked up this wonderful book called Mars. <laughs> oh, my. Yes. Oh, my. So this, this is partially your fault, Ben. And... It was it, it was a revelation to me. I, I remember reading it and putting it down and looking, sort of having a faraway look and saying, you know, my goodness, we can do this. We sh- should be doing this. And That's right. We should have done it already. We should have done it already. And this is something I, I really wanted to be a part of. Well, you've done it. You've become a part of it. Well, we're we're still short of uh, you know people actually going to Mars or uh, or that that ship out to Jupiter has been delayed by a few years as well. But uh, but I'm I'm still hopeful we'll, we'll get there. Well, Eric, I read many many years ago in a science fiction story the line: "In a good cause, there are no failures, only delays." I like so that. We'll- I like that too. One of yeah, the one of the things I wish I could remember who wrote it. <laughs> Possibly you did. No, not me. <laughs> but, but we'll get to Mars. One of the things we'll get- that concerns me about what happens when we get there is the fact that Mars has no uh, no magnetosphere. That's and, true. And all the radiation hell that, uh, that our sun yeah. unleashes is it just hits the surface of Mars full force without anything to slow it down. And, yeah, um, but. Beneath that surface, there may very well be microbial life. We may not live on Mars. We might live under the surface. Well, I don't think we go to Mars to live and set up colonies and things like that. We'll go there to see what another world is like, whether there is life on more than one world in the solar system. And if so, are the two forms of life related in any way? There's Which means we better be very learn. careful what, what we take with us on those probes. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. You have to decontaminate them very carefully. But, you know, Mars might become a big tourist attraction. The tallest mountain in the solar system is on Mars. That's true, Olympus Mons. Yeah. How did that the happen? Biggest, the biggest rift canyon in the solar system. Uh, Valley Maharneris, a, a Grand Canyon that on Earth would stretch from New York to California. My gosh. We know people who'd want to walk it. Just well, because it's a long it's there. walk. It is a long walk. Yep. The gravity's only about half, so you won't hardly get bunions. One third, one third. I wonder if tardigrades could survive there. They're pretty tough. Tardigrades uh, can, uh, or water bears, uh, yeah. can. Tiny, can, tiny yeah, creatures. Yeah, this same thing. It, they're six legged 
little ugly things. Yeah, but they're they can smaller than it. your their your pinky pinky toe, and they're a little short yeah. on conversation. Very, very small, and they have the capability to just go into hibernation for thousands of years. And then when conditions are right, they'll wake up and just start all over again. I had no idea their their ability was uh, was so extreme. I, yeah. I I did know that they can survive a hard vacuum. Yes. There's a oh god a classic science fiction on that subs. I gotta go dig that up. I can't. I won't get it for this. <laughs> a, contaminate, this a contaminated ship accidentally. No, it's not. It's not accidental. For, it's for it's a, that's what they choose to. Uh, uh, colonize a, a planet with you know they're they're stranded but they they have a colony kit and those are their children those are their that's, that's a their james colony. blish story thank you and i forget the name of it but yeah it, it was a startling story written back in the 1950s yeah that's what i'm talking about mm-hmm. so this is nothing new <laughs> there isn't much going on that hasn't been in a science fiction story 10 20 30 50 years ago it's just how you present it, I guess. It's who reads it? Who is influenced by it? Well, you know, Eric is a good, a, Eric a, a is perfect the example. example. He read science fiction. He has gone into aerospace to make science fiction come true. He's also working in the field itself, developing anthologies, writing his own fiction. This is a, a science fiction success story. Well, and it's a mighty responsibility because people are going to read these stories and uh, be inspired to take up rocket science, biology, murder That's weapons. Right. Wait, we don't want new murder weapons. <laughs> and if you're at it as long as I have been, they start sending you letters telling you what you got wrong. <laughs> no, I gave that to him. It's okay. We're trying to distract the dog who seems intent <laughs> on chewing on everything, including me. Um, Welcome to the dog hour on Krypton Radio. <laughs> yeah, that's what puppies do. It is. Yeah. Some of them are delicious. Mm, nom, 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 nom. My dog is eating me. I'm particularly fascinated with uh, the new discoveries we're making in um, in deep space objects, uh, such yeah. as that... What, the extra The comet solar... that we just landed on, oh, the Philae yes. probe? Oh, my yeah, God. landed on a comet, discovering... Thousands, millions of planets around other stars. Still um, haven't found too many that small enough for us to live on, but we'll get there. The ones that are small enough for us to live on probably have others already living on them. Might. That would be a problem. And they might have dinosaurs, or they might have unicorns. Or they might <laughs> have people. They might have poison. So, I wonder, you know. I, it, the common building blocks that make up life are prevalent pretty much in every direction uh, yeah. every direction we look life life on earth is built of the simplest materials using the easiest energy paths that are possible there's nothing exotic about life chemically speaking so it stands to reason that whatever else we encounter would probably be carbon based perhaps might not be though i mean what would we have to talk about with like a methane based uh, life form we couldn't share the same worlds. We couldn't use the. We couldn't breathe the same air. We couldn't share a drink together without somebody dying. What well, we... I've been in bars where that happens pretty often. <laughs> we just came from a convention this weekend. What am I saying? Uh, but what would we have to talk about? What is the nature of the universe? What are the rules of life? 
They wouldn't even know how about we, chocolate. How do we learn? How do we understand? Why do we keep exploring? Why do we keep pushing? I recently saw a, uh, a short film called Wanderers. Uh, uh-huh. I, I think his name is Eric Wurstein. If I'm probably massacre, well, misremembering fix it later. that. Fix it later. Anyway, the, the film uses a quote from Carl Sagan from his book, Pale Blue Dot. And uh, paraphrasing, because he put it much better than I could, uh, he implies that the desire to explore may be built into our species uh, because bountiful resources don't last forever. And uh, and we have to continuously expand our sphere of knowledge so that we can find more resources so that we can every organism expands its habitat as far as it can possibly reach this seems to be a law of biology we with our technology can reach habitats that nobody else has ever even tried so we before technology we expanded all across the earth and now we're expanding beyond the earth it's a law of nature. I don't think there's anything unusual about it. I think it's just the way biology works. I think that it's got to be built into us at the very lowest levels. Oh, yes. Oh, well, very deepest. Don't say lowest. Say deepest. Deepest, deepest levels. <laughs> from ancient times. Yeah. I mean, we we uh, walked I'm, from from, uh, from Africa to the North Pole almost to to China, to, you know, sailing on rafts everywhere else. Yep, yep. The Polynesians crossed the Pacific on, on their uh, their sailboats. Here it was. It was um, from Melville that Sagan quoted, uh-huh. I am tormented with an everlasting itch for things remote. I love to sail yeah. forbidden seas and land on barbarous coasts. And yeah. that really sums it up. I mean, it's uh, the thrill of discovery. Just, uh, the line, you know, the line I like is from uh, Lawrence of Arabia, where O'Toole says to one of the Arab chieftains, "Nothing is written. There is no absolute and unchangeable world or future. The future is what we make of it by what we do and what we fail to do, and it's important to keep moving forward." That was something that Walt Disney was also fond of saying. Yeah. Yep. Keep moving forward. Well, he didn't yep. make anything up, did he? Oh, Uncle Walt was quite a person. He's, he's America's version of Hans Christian Andersen. A marvelous, marvelous adventurer into the unknown. He had courage. Pulling this back into science fiction uh, and the value of it, uh, it gives us the courage to, to make those explorations and to think differently. Yes. So that we can find the next thing, the new horizons, the next great adventure. Yes. So what's your next great adventure? Mine? Mr. B? I've been writing a series of novels that my fans have called The Grand Tour, which took, shows how the human race expands through the solar system. And now we're moving out, out of the solar system toward the stars. So that's what I'm working on right now. Okay. I cheated. I saw that in, in your the articles about you already. So. <laughs> okay, you did your research. I did. I kind of did, yeah. 
or office manager uh, Kat Carter is very keen on the Kinsman stories and wanted us oh. to ask if there are going to be any more of those. No, Kinsman is dead. Oh, it didn't stop them with Sherlock Holmes. He's only well, mostly dead. <laughs> this is science fiction. We have to play fair by the rules. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I guess so. That's not the hell of science. You have It makes you play by the rules. Yep. Okay, or the rules come up and smack you between the eyes. Bite you in the buttocks. Or some some uh, fan walks up and takes your book and smacks <laughs> you between the eyes. That's happened too. <laughs> but yeah. the biggest thrill in my life is when occasionally a young person will come to me and say, I became a scientist because I read your stuff when I was a kid. That kid's going to save your life. You know that. Well, yeah. it, it just chokes me up. Mm. Okay, how's our time uh, doing? I'm afraid I'm going to have to leave you now. All right. But uh, it's been fun. Eric, good to talk with you. Thank you for Thank joining us. Thank you for us. asking me. Thank you Absolutely. for your time. And when I when I use the geezer line, when I, when I write about my old home in the <laughs> asteroid belt, you're going to get credit. Okay. See if I don't. <laughs> Great. Take care and talk to you soon. Thank you, Take Ben. Care. Take care, Eric. Thanks very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Eric, are you still there? I'm still here. Okay. okay. <laughs> you want me? Of course we want you. We're very proud of you. We have, but we already asked what's your next thing. What was your favorite story in here that you didn't write? That's a good, the, That's always uh, a safe question. <laughs> Obviously, we liked all of them because they're in the book. But uh, if uh, if I had to pick actually two, it's be the opener and the closer is Blue Afternoon that Lasted Forever by Daniel H. Wilson and Recollections, the very appropriately named Recollections for the last story of the book by, by Nancy Falda. And what appealed to me is that in different ways, they're both about family and the heart and the transcendent power of love. And that there are some things that, in some cases, that science can only take us so far. And at the end of the day, to, to, to get to the final destination, uh, you need love. Love and grace. So when, how old were you when you first got the idea that you wanted to be a science fiction writer? I got started in, uh, in, in high school. Um, I was always a huge fan of uh, Larry Niven, Arthur Clarke, uh, really did a lot of poor stuff trying to emulate their style. So a lot of the stuff from, from high school, which fortunately I don't have anymore, involved people digging up these black boxy things on the moon and really uncreative things like that. Uh, what got me started was actually a contest. So uh, it was... It was called at that time the Asimov Award. It's now called the Dell Magazine Award, um, administered by uh, Rick Wilbur. And this is a contest for uh, undergraduate students, uh, best science fiction and fantasy written by, by an undergraduate. So I entered the contest uh, in the first year that uh, the competition was held. And uh, much to my shock, I, I won. <laughs> and uh, that's, uh, that's, that's what got me started. And that was what gave you the encouragement, you know, to, to, um, that you might be able to do this for a living. Ben? 
Well, in all seriousness, the uh, the winning story that I wrote, dedication, was uh, it, it was set on Mars, and it was uh, inspired by by Ben's novel. So Ben had not only influenced my academic and, and career decision to go into space engineering, but very much influenced my writing as well. That is magnificent. I mean, I I love to hear stuff like that, and it's it was so great. I mean, it's great that Ben Bova is still around and still inspiring people and still uh, and adding to the richness of the the fabric of science fiction. You could hear how how <clears throat> I'm still kind of not talking very well because I was just a little intimidated. Well, 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 how do you think I felt? Uh, you know, I, I, I had to work with this guy. And yeah. you know, he, he, here was this godlike figure from you know my, my childhood and, and teenage idol science fiction writer. And my goodness, I, I, I'm going to do a, a book project. But he is just such – I don't even have the words to describe – what, what a gentleman and a mentor and a friend that he has been through this whole process. It's, it's just been wonderful beyond, beyond words. How do you edit someone like that? If there's something you need to ask or to change? It's very much a collaborative process. And this was something I learned in editing the, my previous anthology, The Dragon and the Stars with, with Derwin Mack is it works best when it's not uh, an us versus them or, or a confrontational type of relationship where it's editor working with the author to come up with the best story that they possibly can. So it didn't happen on Carbide Tip Pens, but I do remember in Dragon in the Stars, there was one story where we literally went through a dozen iterations with, with this author. And, and it was... It, it was a wonderful give and take type of dynamic where, well, you know, the action hasn't started uh, early enough. Oh, okay, so I'll do this. Um, and then I'll say, well, I think we should cut this out. And then the author said, well, no, Eric, this is why I put the scene in for this and this reason. And I say, oh, yeah, well, that makes perfect perfect sense to me. And that's how collaboratively, co- collaboratively um, an editor and author work together to, uh, to tell a great story. I've heard it often said that uh, most of the work in getting a story done is in the rewriting, not the writing. Would you agree with that statement? Every writer has a different style. In in my case, that's certainly true. The The other thing that I found, again, I'm only going to speak for myself, is the, the, the shorter I make something, the better it seems to be. And What's I, the I better it has to be? I, I guess so. Um, I, I remember reading, uh, this could be an apocryphal story, but, but it's wonderful. Uh, the story goes that Arthur C. Clarke would never read any of the Reader's Digest condensations of his work. Not because he was afraid that they had ruined them, but because he was afraid that they'd actually improved them. <laughs> okay, that's funny. That is funny. Yeah, And I, I had the good fortune to meet Ray Bradbury, I think, in... Uh, uh, About five years ago or so. Yeah, something like that. A little bit before he died. Brought your little uh, boy with you. Yeah. And um, he was well known for uh, never editing anything. I mean, what he wrote, first draft, was what got published every time. And I think the only exception 
was the screenplay that he did for Moby Dick. That's a screenplay, and that was based on someone else's work. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't possibly do that even even at that time without the studio mucking around in it. Yeah, but uh, he was... But everything and, that and came out of his like head that. came out straight out of his head and into the typewriter. Well, you, you guys do realize that Ray Bradbury is on Mars now, right? He, he must be. It's it's in his books. Well, it's in his books, but, but more than that no. is uh, the mission that I had a privilege to work on, Phoenix. One of the payloads it's carried was a DVD from the Planetary Society called Visions of Mars, which was a compilation of literature and art about the Red Planet. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the Martian, I, I believe Martian Chronicles was, uh, was there. Oh, that's awesome. That's, what that's else is on that? that? That's the best thing I've heard all day. They, they, they didn't bring a DVD player on the spacecraft. So, as presumably some, so they some can play it. Civilization's gonna have to find the Best Buy on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sure they got Starbucks there by now. Best Buy's not far behind. They probably have a Starbucks there. No, no, if it went with your probe, it'd be a Tim Hortons. I, 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 I'm, I'm good with you. But, um. I think I'd rather have the Tim Hortons. I can plug another story. Uh, one of my other favorite stories is called The Emperor of Mars by Alan Steele. And, uh, he postulates a, a future where we've settled on Mars and a, a really beautiful, Destiny for this uh, visions of Mars uh, DVD that he's uh, he's postulated. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us on the Event Horizon here on Krypton Radio. Uh, we have been speaking to Eric Choi, the co-editor of Carbide Tipped Pens, his the other editor of which was Ben Bova. This is fresh from Tor Books, seventeen tales of hard science fiction, and Just every one of them beautiful. Sorry, it was a gratuitous plug. I said the book just came up. It, it's it's available as of today. Yay. Oh, excellent. Just in time for Christmas. Makes a good gift. No, really yeah. makes a good gift. Really? Ah, Christmas, Hanukkah, <laughs> Kwanzaa, Festivus, whatever. <laughs> Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. That covers all the bases. Kwanzaa and Festivus. Don't forget Festivus. Festivus <laughs> for the rest of us. No, it's yay, the sun isn't going away. It's... <laughs> Yay, we live in a temperate zone. Yay, we live <laughs> on a planet with an axis. I don't know. Anything you want to celebrate. My birthday. You can celebrate my birthday. Anybody can celebrate my birthday. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, Oh, thank you. It, it, the pleasure was mine. And, uh, oh, could we get a station drop from you? Uh, you just say, hi, I'm Eric Choi, editor of... Uh, the new anthology from Tor Books, Carbide-Tipped Pens, and you're listening to Krypton Radio. Or whatever you want to you know, like promote. Wow, that was quite a mouthful. Um, or just your name. Why don't I not promote the book and just say, this is Eric Troy, and you're listening to Krypton Radio. Okay. Lovely. And could we get another one where you do promote the book? This is us specifically I'm asking you to do this. My better half is whispering at me to promote the book, so I'm going to promote the book. Mm-hmm. This is a Troy co-editor with Ben Okay, uh, can you start over? Because we, okay. we the signal dipped down when you when we heard the Eric part. Okay. Okay, start over, please. 
You have just heard episode 82 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for December 13th, 2014. Our guests were science fiction writers Eric Choi and Ben Bova, editors of the new anthology from Tor Books entitled Carbide-Tipped Pens. Your hosts have been Krypton Radio's station manager Gene Turnbow and our executive producer Susan Fox. This episode will air again on December 14th, 2014 at 4 p.m. Pacific and at various additional times throughout the coming week. See the Krypton Radio website at kryptonradio.com for showtimes in your area. Once all the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others as downloads at the Krypton Radio website and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by legendary science fiction writer Larry Niven. Our production manager is Kat Carter, and sound engineering was done by Gene Turnbow. This program and its contents, except where provided by others, are copyright 2014 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>